Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Parkview. Glad to have you here. Glad to have you guys online. Want to welcome our new campus in Flower Mound, Texas. Campus is, uh, the campus pastor's name is Dan Harlow. He's going to be 85 next month. What's your problem? My parents moved into a retirement community down in Flower Mound, and my dad's like, well, let's start a Parkview campus. So they're watching online. Shout out to Flower Mound for me, will ya? Yeah. And hey, you know, I mean, a lot of you are like people who got smart and left Illinois and you're somewhere else. And now you're like with other people. You should start that. You should do that. Make a campus. Okay. Let's play a game. Let's play a game. Um, I love to play this game. I love to play this game. And it's my birthday. I love to play the game in anniversaries. I love to play the game on the 4th of July. I love to play the game uh, all, all over Arbor Day. Arbor Day. Did you know Arbor Day is a holiday? I mean, I really love to play this game. It's called What's Your Favorite? What's Your Favorite? That's what it's called. Okay. And, and so here it is. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Pastor Todd or Vladimir Putin? Oh, here, what's your favorite? Pastor Todd or, or, or Charlie Manson? What's your favorite? Pastor Todd or Adolf Hitler? What's your favorite? Pastor Todd or the Chinese spy balloon? Okay. <laughs> if, if you're new and you don't know what's going on, um, who is this poor Todd guy? You really need to go back and listen to last week's sermon because it was an amazing sermon. He did a great job as we're doing this series along the way. But he made the mistake of, you know, trying to make fun of me. And I always get the last word, right? I mean, it's my church, so deal with it, right? But, but, but why we're doing this series is to be, uh, to learn to be like Jesus, not to know Jesus, but to be to, 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 to really be like him. My purpose, Paul said, is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may be, have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, that seems really important, doesn't it? I've been reading a book called uh, The Common Rule. Uh, I just finished it up, really good book about habits of purpose for an age of distraction. Um, and it's written by a guy with three names, so you know it's gotta be good, right? And, and it's all about our habits and, and how, it, how they work for us. And, and he hit a burnout period, and he's a lawyer. He hit a burnout period, and he said, only in retrospect, this is so good, only in retrospect, did I realize that while the house of my life was decorated with Christian content, the architecture of my habits was just like everyone else's? I mean, you know, you can have all the, all the Christian stuff around, but it's about your habits. And he quoted a stat from Duke University that suggests that as much as 40% of the actions that we take during a day are not the product of our choices, but they are the product of our habits. And let me demonstrate why this is important. My wife makes a family calendar for us most years at Christmas, um, which is a fun thing to do. There's 14 in our immediate family, six grandkids, three kids and their husbands. And, uh, and so she puts pictures in for every month of anniversaries and birthdays and, you know, just different things. And she spends a lot of time on them and everybody loves them. And, and she does it on Shutterfly. If you've not done that, it's not the easiest system to deal with. And she got in a little bit of a hurry at the end of 2017 while making the 2018 calendar. And she had to order before her coupon inspired, you know, and all that. And she didn't check it carefully enough, which was fine because the inside was all great. And that's all that matters because you never really look at the front of the calendar anyway, except when you get it as a present on Christmas morning and it says... The Olson family. <laughs> uh, 
Now, you know, you may, be, you may be new to Parkview, but you just need to know my last name is Harlow, okay? I don't know who the Olsons are or why they are the default name on Shutterfly, but that's not us. And, and it was a 2018 calendar, not a 2017 calendar. What I'm saying is, listen to this, you can spend a lot of time and effort on your life, but if you don't change your defaults, the same thing is going to happen to you. Life is going, this is what the guy is saying in the book, life is going to fill them in for you. You're going to wake up one day and ask yourself, wait a minute, how did I get to be an Olsen? And how come it's 2017, it's groundhog year, I'm living it all over again. And it's because you have to fix the default. So we've been doing this Quest 52 thing, right? Um, give Jesus a year and he will change your life. That's what, we're, that's what we're talking about. 15 minutes a day. Still got books available at every campus. You can get it online. You can join us. And we're in week five and we're gonna be, we're gonna be going through it as a church. I'm not gonna preach through it all year, but we're gonna be going through it all year long. So jump in and, and start changing your habits. Start changing your defaults. All right, we're, gonna, we're just in order going through the life of Jesus. We get to Jesus at age 12 today. Let me explain why that's important, all right? Um, these gospel writers were writing to different audiences. I've showed this before, so I won't spend a lot of time, but Matthew was writing to the Jews. Mark is writing to the Romans. There's a cold front coming in from the south. I feel like a weatherman. Oh, wait, I lost my hand. Luke is writing to the Gentiles, and John is writing to everyone, right? Okay, so we're... We're talking about a passage of scripture that comes from Luke today. Only Luke gives us any information about Jesus as a child because he is the only non-Jewish writer in the entire Bible. So you got the Christmas story and the next story we have is this one today at Jesus at age 12. Why would Luke be the only one to write about it? Because he was Greek and Greco-Roman biographies also to always told tales about their heroes as children. Okay? Stories of Hercules or whatever. There were always stories, also stories of them as children. We want to know, was the boy like the man? That's what we want to know. So Luke is going to go ahead and do that because he's writing to the Greeks. And we get to, the, we get to this passage and it's Acts chapter 2, but in verse 40 and in verse 52 on both sides of the story, it basically says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It's like, it's like Luke's way of saying, look, this, he was a hero at age 12, okay? But here's the story. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, this is the Passover festival. It assumes that you're gonna know that. While they were there, while his parents were returning home, the boy, Jesus, age 12, stayed behind in Jerusalem and they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Okay, how many of you have left a kid somewhere on accident? Okay, yeah. Um, I am famous for telling a story about losing our youngest daughter, Becca, on a beach at age four. Um, I've, it was part of the life on mission stuff. I told it all over the country whenever I would preach somewhere because it was a great redemption story when we found her and it was all about how important it is to find the lost children. And so I was on a text chain with my family and I said, I'm gonna tell the, Becca, the losing Becca story. And Becca chimed in and said, which one? <laughs> I was like, oh, did we lose you a lot? 
Evidently, we did. Which one? So the, let me explain what happened on this one, okay? They were caravanning, okay? In that day, they would travel in caravans with a lot of family and friends. The whole town would go to Jerusalem, and the whole town would go back. I hate caravanning, don't you? Can I get an amen? I don't want a caravan. I'll meet you there, okay? Because somebody's always got to stop for a potty break, and somebody's always hungry. Somebody wants to drive the speed limit, drive me crazy. All these inconveniences, right? So just for fun and just show you how old I am and just for fun for the young people here. How many of you have ever used a CB radio? Raise your hand. Yeah, some truckers and some old people, right? That's what we did with it, you know, back in the day if we were going to caravan. It was this little radio thing that you could talk to everybody around you, but in a, in a, in a short little place, right? Uh, you know, Breaker 1-9, that's what we always said. We couldn't say hi. It was Breaker 1-9, I don't know why, and you had to have a handle, mine was Golf Rev, I was the golfing reverend, I don't know why you had to have security on CBs, I mean, I'm not wanted by the FBI, I could have just said, hi, I'm Tim, and why, why couldn't we just say, let's stop for lunch, it was always like all this jargon, it wasn't like, let's stop for lunch, it was like, hey, big kahuna, let's do a 10-689 at the Golden Arches down at mile marker 193. But I digress. Okay. They began to look for him among the relatives and friends. And when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, dot, 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 Jesus has been lost for three days. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that conversation? I thought he was with you. Why would he be with me? Last time I saw him, he was with you. Great. Are you going to tell God we lost his son? And guys, you know who lost this argument, right? I mean, and it was actually Joseph's fault. This may be why we never hear from Joseph ever again in the Bible. <laughs> let, let me explain, okay? The, the, Jesus at age 12 would have gone to Jerusalem for the Passover feast, and that would have been his bar mitzvah. That would have been his age of becoming a man. So he would have literally gone with the children and the women on the way up to Jerusalem, and on the way back, he was supposed to be with the men. And Joseph wasn't used to that, so Joseph would, should have been the one that should have been checking on him at this point, okay? But let me talk about uh, the rites of passage thing. I mean, the Jews were good at it. Um, uh, Christians were good. I, a lot of people are like doing things to try to celebrate when you move from one stage of life to another. And baptism is always a part of that for a Christian. Um, and Jesus' baptism is what we're going to talk about next week. We're going in order, so we got to get to Jesus' baptism. Why was the perfect son of God baptized? We're going to talk about that. So guess what? We're going to do baptisms next weekend. I mean, you could do it anytime you want around here, but we're going to do baptisms next weekend. We don't normally do that in February because it tends to be cold here. And uh, nobody wants to leave with wet hair because my mom said you would get a cold if you went outside with wet hair, even though she was lying to me. She didn't really know it. Okay, so we're going to do polar bear baptisms next week. I mean, the water will be warm. You can stay around till your hair dries. If you've not done immersion baptism, the symbolizing of you dying to your old self and coming back to your new self next weekend's for you. Plan ahead and you can have dry clothes and, and you'll be good. Okay, so they go to Passover. Passover celebration was um, a seven-day celebration but most of the people would only go for the first three days, which was the feast part, 
Okay. Most of the people were workers. They had jobs. They had things they had to do. So they would go back home after day three and day four through seven was kind of reserved for the rabbis and the, and, you know, theological discussions and the forums that they would have for the elite people. And most, most of the people just didn't stay, but it appears that Jesus stuck around for the teaching because they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers at age 12, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. This is Luke saying the man Jesus was already like this at age 12. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And I bet that wasn't necessarily the only word. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Of course, I'm speculating, but it appears to me that they lost sight of his purpose. Jesus was surprised that they were searching for him because He was focused on his mission and his purpose. Even at age 12, he was supposed to be about his father's business. And he knew that. He knew his objective. It was that that carried him through the pain of the cross. And I believe Mary learned a valuable lesson as she watched her son die on the cross. And and as she went through her whole life trying to understand this thing, and that's this very important lesson here. When the crisis hits, you focus on your purpose and you remember why we're here. Whatever the crisis is, it doesn't matter. You focus on what you're supposed to be doing. Why are you here? When life gets tough on this earth, remember why you are here. You got to know that your purpose, what your purpose in life is and know what you're on earth for. Jesus knew that. Mary and Joseph lost sight of it. Why are you here on this earth? To be happy, to build a great home, to have a wonderful family, to have a great career and retire in style? No, Paul said everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible, invisible, everything, in case you haven't gotten the idea yet, got started in him and finds its purpose in him. Everything. Father's business. And he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Same wording that happened after Gabriel came to her and said, you're going to have the baby, the son of God. She treasured these things. Oh yeah, he's not, he's not my son. Oh yeah, Gabriel. Oh yeah, there's a plan here. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. She treasured, okay? She remembered her purpose. She, she went back and, and realized what was going on. Boy, don't you have some, I mean, if you thought about it, wouldn't you have some questions for Mary? I mean, I will have some questions for Mary. Max Licato wrote a, a great list. He said, Mary, what was it like watching him pray? How did he respond when he saw the other kids giggling during the service at the synagogue? Mary, did you feel awkward teaching him how he created the world? Did the thought ever occur to you that the God to whom you were praying was asleep under the same roof? Who was his best friend? How did he act when he got his first haircut? Did he ever come back with a black eye? What do you think he thought when he saw a prostitute offering to the highest bidder the body that he had made? Mary, did you ever look at him in the kitchen and think, 
that's God eating my soup. But I want to camp out on this father's business thing for just a minute, okay? My father's house, it's the same, same translation e- either way. At age 12, Jesus knew that he was supposed to be about his father's business. And I had to ask myself, did I do that? Did I know that? And the truth of the matter is I did. I mean, I, I did understand the priority of the father's house and the father's business at age 12. Because my parents instilled it in me, and I believe we instilled it in our kids, and I believe they're instilling it in their grandkids. Hey, we go to church. We go to the kids' programming. We, we serve. We give. We manage our money so that we don't just spend it all. Please, if you do anything, teach your kids to manage their money so that maybe someday we won't be $31.5 trillion in debt as a nation, Okay. We, we had little envelopes that, that we had as kids. I mean, if I got a dollar for allowance, it was 10 dimes. My parents made sure that they had it all so that I could split it up, and I would take 10% of my allowance, I would take one dime and put it in an envelope, and I would, we'd take it to church. And I knew they did the same thing. And I would put another dime or two into a savings bank, and then I could spend the other 70 or 80 cents on candy or whatever I wanted to do. And I'd just like to speak to those of us who are Christ followers for a moment, all right? If you're not a Jesus follower, you're still exploring faith, you can sit this one out. But we know for a fact that there are millions of people around us within a short driving radius who do not know Jesus. They do not know Jesus is the answer to life. They do not believe that there is a life after this one. And God's plan is for us to reach and love and redeem the people around us. And the plan was not, did not involve any government It did not involve my political party. It did not involve a candidate fixing everything. It wasn't even a plan to use a nonprofit, which I love. And and we work with nonprofit organizations. I was with one this week, Convoy of Hope, where we do a lot of our aid things. And obviously, it was someplace warm. That's why I have a suntan, right? There is nothing wrong with any of those things. And they have a place. But they aren't the plan. God's plan is to redeem creation and bring a change to the hearts of his world through his church, his father's house. And as crazy as it sounds, he decided that he is going to use you and me to live out the love of Jesus in our community and take that transformation to the world. That's the plan. But it was through the local church. And we believe in the local church. We, most of us followers believe that. We've had lives changed by the local church, whether it's this one or another one. And we know that the world is desperate. And we know that the, the, that the church is the answer and that Jesus is the answer that church is going to bring it. But my question is, if we believe all that, are we putting our treasure where our mouth is? Like, do we really believe Jesus when he said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust does not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Well, the stats tell us that while the majority of Christians say that tithing, giving 10% of your income, is taught in the Bible, only 13% of them actually do it. It's getting close to where only a tithe of the people who believe in the tithe actually tithe. I mean, it's amazing. And 50%, even more important, 50% of American Christians give less than 1% of their income 
to their father's business. And I believe that every follower should have a plan for how they're going to support the church because that's what shows our priority. And giving and stewardship is, is about entrusting God and, and knowing that he's in charge of the universe. And it's a part of growing as a Christian. And I'm not talking about throwing in a few bucks here or there or giving out of what's left over or giving God a tip. I'm talking about a plan. A predecided amount, a percentage of my income or an amount that God has blessed me with every week or every month or whatever, no matter what that is. And I share those stats with you about, you know, Christians and what they do in general. Let's hit a little closer to home. Here's the reality for Parkview. Only 32% of our regular weekend attendants give regularly. I don't mean they tithe. I mean, they just have a regular giving schedule, 32% have a plan for supporting the father's house, the father's business. And some of you are thinking, well, how can that be? But that's the reality, okay? The reality is that most, almost all of the ministry that goes on here is paid for by 30% of the people. So if you're part of the 30%, I wanna thank you. We couldn't do it without you. And I want you to feel free to slap seven out of the 10 people you see on the way out of here and say, hey, I could use a little help here, okay? And if you're part of the 70%, I would encourage you to thank three of the 10 people you walk by and keep your guard up as you're going, okay? I mean, seriously, it's, a, it's crazy, isn't it? We all wanna be generous. Nobody wants to get the end of our life and go, wow, he was so stingy. I mean, what a wonderful man. What a wonderful woman. No, we wanna be generous and we believe in the father's business. You just need to make a decision and do something about it. Make a plan and commit to doing something. And the best way to do that is to create a giving schedule. It's to automate your giving. If you're gonna be a generous person, I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't just, if I can get an automatic thing going, it's gonna make it all easier for me. And if it's a priority, I want it to be easier for me. And God doesn't care how much, he's gonna bless what you do. I'm telling you that. I promise if you develop the habit of generosity, God is gonna bless you in ways you won't be able to imagine. Jesus said this, he said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together like a soda can, running over will be poured into your lap for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. What I want for you is to develop the habit. And I mean that so much that if like you are part of this church and you don't feel comfortable giving to this church, then find a church that you feel comfortable giving to and grow in your generosity. If you're gonna give here, then I wanna encourage you to take a few steps and automate it, make it happen, make it regular, whatever you have to do, and teach your children to do the same thing. Listen, I've been at this church for as long as Jesus was alive on the earth, 33 years. The reason this church exists is because a faithful, tiny little group of people over in Tenley Park took the father's business seriously and had a habit of generosity.
And the reason that this church was able to move from Tinley Park to Orland Park 21 years ago is that there were Jesus followers who gave, like people who believed in the Father's business, that people would come to know the love of Jesus. And the reason that your campus exists is because people were faithful to give towards something that they might not ever take a part of, but because they believed in the Father's business. And the only way we can continue to pay it forward as a church and find more people that get, need to get to know Jesus is to practice the habit of generosity with the Father's house. So I just want to encourage you to text GIVE to 65649 or go online or go to your own bank. I had mine automated way back before we ever did online giving and just do something. I mean, shouldn't God get more than Starbucks? I, I don't know. I don't know what your measure ought to be but if you don't pay attention, it's where I started with this whole thing. If you don't pay attention to it, you're not going to realize it till you get to the end and you're doing your taxes like right now, okay? So this is a good time to talk about it. The psalmist says, those who make and trust in idols will become like them. And whether you know it or not, our unconscious habits fundamentally reshape our hearts. Here's what the writer of the common rule said. And this is so simple. I mean, <clears throat> one of the common rules he suggests is scripture before screen. Every morning, look at scripture before you look at screen. Simple little habit, right? Well, how could I do that? Charge your phone somewhere else and put a Bible by your bed so it's the first thing you grab in the morning. It's that simple. How do I develop a habit of generosity? Set it up. He says, we think that by rejecting any limits on our habits, we remain free to choose. But actually, by barraging ourselves with so many choices, we get so decision fatigued that we're unable to choose anything well. Since we're too tired to make good decisions, we're, listen to this, we're extremely susceptible to letting other people, from manipulative bosses to invisible smartphone programmers, make our decisions for us. In Atomic Habits, a very famous book by James Clear, he says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. No single instance will transform your beliefs, but as the votes build up, so does the evidence of your new identity. That's one reason why meaningful change does not require radical change. Small habits can make a meaningful difference by providing evidence of a new identity. And if a change is meaningful, it actually is big. And that's the paradox of making small improvements. Put this all together. The most practical way to change who you are is to change what you do. So he says, each time you write a page, you're a writer. Each time you practice the violin, you're a musician. Each time you start a workout, you're an athlete. Each time you encourage your employees, you're a leader. Each time you give, you're, you're generous. And each habit not only gets results, but also teaches you something far more important, to trust yourself. You start to believe that you can actually accomplish these things. Jesus knew all this. Jesus knew his purpose. He had the habits. He'd been taught the habits. He knew about his father's house. And again, he knew that for everything, 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 above, below, invisible, everything, got started in him and finds its purpose in him. So what does that mean? Well, God does have a special purpose for some people. 
wasn't an accident, I don't believe, that Abraham Lincoln was president during the Civil War or Winston Churchill was prime minister during World War II or Mother Teresa went to Calcutta when she did or Billy Graham came to the world right as television was becoming popular. God gifts certain people for special tasks. And we can't be envious of those things. We just know it's God's world and he's gonna choose to make everything happen however he wants to. So if you get to be Mary and be the, 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 the mother of God, then your attitude should be, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And if you're, if you're gonna be somebody that's just a normal person that's not in the Bible that we never heard about, then your attitude should be, okay, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But the important part of this is that we realize that God has a purpose for everyone everybody. It may not be as dramatic as Abraham Lincoln or Mary or Mother Teresa. You might not have an angel visit you in your living room, but God has a purpose for every life. And he wants all of those purposes to be about reaching the people that aren't in the father's house already. That's a part of the purpose. That's the plan. And your purpose may seem insignificant and other people may not ever know about it. It's just important that we are at our post every day knowing that God is putting everything together, knowing that it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. No matter how big or little the thing may be. The point is if most of us look for the dramatic big things we can do to serve God and our fellow man, we're gonna miss out. Most of what God wants us to do is the ordinary mundane business of going about doing his will and being about the Father's business, whatever that is. So as we prepare for communion in a moment, um, I, I, wanna, I, I wanna come back to this thought that just has been really, really ruminating with me this whole week, and that is Jesus obviously knew to be about the Father's business at age 12, and, and I never really thought about the fact that Jesus was I, I, I thought may be, but no, he was the only person who actually knew how his life was going to turn out. I mean, if he knew at age 12, he obviously knew all the way through how his life was going to turn out. And truthfully, I believe he knew all the way through. I don't think it was just like a revelation one day. I, I think that it's, at every point along the way, Jesus knew who he was. I'm going to show you the video from the Chosen miniseries, and, and it's beautiful, the way they portray Jesus at age 12. He knew who he was. He knew about his father's house at age 12. But the problem with this story, because even though Luke was writing to Gentiles, they would have understood the context of the story in a way that we really don't when we read it. Like the context of the story is that the, the, the feast was Passover, so all week I've been imagining that Jesus at age 12 is at the Passover feast, which was when the sacrificial lamb was slain for the release of the people from the bondage of sin. It was something they did every year. And that Jesus evidently at age 12 knew that someday he was going to be that lamb. The story doesn't really point out the fact that this is Jerusalem, this is the holy city. Of course it is, 
But you got to understand that the temple was there. It's a beautiful scene in this, in this scene from The Chosen we're going to see. And, and the temple was a shadow of Jesus' own body where people came to meet God. And at the crucifixion, the veil was in the temple was torn from the top to bottom so that we could have access to God the Father. But it was only because of his death that that was going to happen. And how long was he missing? Do you remember that? Three days, yeah. In reference to another time where he would be missing for three days before the resurrection. All of these details paint a picture of Jesus and his ultimate act of redemption, which we are going to celebrate during communion in just a moment. And if you're new, you just, just understand you don't have to be a part of our church. You're welcome to commune with us if you're a believer. There's cellophane on the top, just peel that off and the bread is there. And then there's foil. If you peel that off, the juice is there. And what, what, what's gonna happen is we're gonna, we're gonna see this scene and then we're, going to, um, we're gonna listen to a worship song, a new worship song that's going to describe for us what Jesus went through on the cross and help us to remember that Jesus was serious enough about his father's business that he went all the way to dying on the cross for our sins so that we could be freed from our sins. And he rose again. He was found three days later so that we knew we were going to be also. But what bothers me in this passage is that Jesus knew all this at age 12. Nobody else did, right? But Jesus even when he gets to age 30, says over and over three times, three different times to the disciples, maybe more, we are going to Jerusalem. Everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. He will be delivered. He's talking about himself, third person, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. He's predicting this before it happened. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. And they never did, they just weren't, they didn't want to listen to that. They didn't want to hear that that was the father's business. But it's crazy to me to think that Jesus at age 12 understood all of that. And he had 18 more years to live with it. And then three years as he started his ministry to live with it also. So I'm going to play this scene again from The Chosen. um, And we'll worship with a song. And then camp's pastor will come out and lead us in communion. Maybe just as you're going through this time of reflection, think about the fact that at age 12, he knew this was gonna happen. And maybe for me, it just makes me that much more grateful.
everywhere day and night with a Soskin. I told him. He's okay. Why is everyone so upset? Mary, he was in the... You were supposed to be riding in the caravan with Uncle Abaita. I was supposed to be with my father. Then why weren't you? I was. You should have seen him. He was teaching when I found him. The rabbis, the scribes, the scholars, they could not believe their ears. They barely let us leave. Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? It is too early for all this. If not now, when? Just help us get through all of this with you. Maybe we should get going before they make a formal inquiry, hmm? Jesus, please don't do that again, huh? Yes, Abba. May I read? We'll see, hmm? Come now, we've got a long journey. What are you going to do for your mother for this transgression, huh? I'm going to make him rub your feet. Abba! 